Thank you, Maria. Beautiful song and powerful words to that song. And uh, I don't know if you often pay real close attention to the words. We put them up there for that reason, uh, so that you kind of meditate on what's being said and sung. And uh, his condescension brought our redemption. There's just a lot of thought. He came to woo us and to win us to him. And uh, what a powerful, powerful song. Let's take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to Acts chapter 22. We're in a series tonight, Acts, God's book on revival. We'll not be talking that much about revival tonight as we work our way through a couple of difficult chapters uh, in Acts uh, chapter 22, chapter 21, chapter 22, really chapter 23 as well. Uh, Paul has got himself in a lot of trouble. While you're turning there, let me just mention where we're going. We're going to continue in Acts until we complete it. It'll be a few more weeks, take us into, or really maybe get done before the Thanksgiving time. And we get into our Christmas season. Can you believe that Christmas is coming and the goose is getting fat? That's hard to believe, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, uh, but uh, then, uh, so what I'm going to try to do is, if you want to make a note of this, we think school, we know school's going to take back up, but we think everybody's going to be back in for a while. And so August 15th on that Sunday, we'll start a new series on Sunday morning from the book of 1 John. I'll give you the title of that. Uh, I may preach a message prior to that so you kind of understand why we're going in that direction. Uh, And uh, 1 John, a wonderful book, a powerful book written to God's uh, people. And then uh, in Sunday school, if you're in my, my class, I'll start a series in the book of Job. And we'll not cover every chapter in Job. We'll be there forever, but especially the first part of it, the last part of it, a few parts in the middle there. And uh, looking forward to that as we learn about God and how God interacts with man. It's a great book on suffering and uh, the purpose of all of that. And so learning about God. And it's amazing how little people know about God. And they've been saved for many, many years. Yet God gave us the book of Job to teach us how he works. And so I'm so thankful for that. A lot of things, God, God gets blamed for a lot of things that he didn't do. He just lifted the hedge and expected his people to do right and respond right. And the devil comes in and steals joy. <clears throat> and then I'm looking forward to this one. You may not be, but I am. And that is a study of the book of 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night. We'll start that on Wednesday night, the 18th. I'll give you some titles coming up. But I'm telling you that so that everybody gather back in and no one ever misses until we're done with those. Now, typically what happens is all of our families that have children, they take off in the summertime to go on vacation. And then they all get back in because school and sports holds them in here. <laughs> and then all of our older folks, our seasoned folks, they take off for the mountains. And so uh, you're allowed to do that. We're, we're just teasing. Let's stand together, please, reading God's Word, Acts chapter 22. As I mentioned the last time we left the apostle, he had got back to Jerusalem. He's in a whole lot of trouble now. And we're going to actually read just an excerpt of this. He is witnessing now in front of the uh, Jews and uh, there in the city that literally hated him. It's funny how the, the church was apprehensive about him. The Christians, the born-again Christians, they were apprehensive about him coming there. But they made up in chapter 21 pretty good. They received gladly. Uh, Paul back in, but those Jews, the Judaizers, especially the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they'd been following this guy around. They knew he was there. 
And finally they pounce on him. We pick up reading as he makes his testimony there in front of them. At verse number 11. And he's actually speaking about his uh, testimony of salvation. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, speaking there the road to Damascus, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came to me, came unto me, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul. I ought to underscore that. What beautiful words that was. We're talking about a man who'd been killing Christians. And he's struck down by that light. And Jesus meets with him there on the road to Damascus. He goes in that city not knowing how he'll be accepted. And this wonderful, godly Christian man named Ananias walked up to him and said, Brother Saul. Boy, those are sweet words. Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him. His sight came back from that blinding light. And he said... Here's the text. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, speaking of Christ, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now calling on the name of the Lord washes away sins, not the water. It's part of the process. He, he just did it all one big swoop there. We're so thankful for that. Sometimes we kind of get off on some tangent doctrine. I'll draw your attention to the statement he makes there to that crowd of people that wanted to kill him. He said this, verse 14. Let's read out loud verse 14. Ready? And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. That phrase the God of our fathers <clears throat> hath chosen thee. That's what Ananias said, that Jesus said to him there on the road to Damascus. What a powerful statement. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. I want to think about that for just a moment tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. We pray that you'll help us now as together we consider our lives and consider the fact that we're saved and we're called to do something for thee. And I pray you'll help us to be like unto the Apostle Paul. We're not him, but help us to take these things to heart tonight, that you have a purpose for our life as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So in this passage, uh, Paul had entered back into Jerusalem for the first time since he left many years earlier. He'd been on at least uh, two missionary trips by now, and uh, he is on, on his third trip. And on his third trip, he wants to pass through uh, Jerusalem. Now, we studied all about that. Some say he should have. Some say he shouldn't have. I don't know. I gave you my opinion last week. But there was something he did that probably was not wise. There were a couple of Christians there that uh, had a vow that they wanted to take care of down at the temple. And so they were going to purify themselves and shave their heads. And Paul was counseled to kind of get in on this thing. And I think the people that were leading him to do this were thinking, well, if he would shave his head and get in on this thing, because the Christians back in Jerusalem, they still struggled some with uh, some of the, the things the Jews were supposed to do. They weren't uh, free like the apostle was. Uh, and so, uh, and, and we read the Jerusalem councils and all of that. 
And so uh, uh, they counsel Paul to go up with them to the temple there, shave your head, and go in there and make, do the purification process and all that, which, by the way, as a Christian, he didn't have to do. But he did it. And when he did it, he kind of entrapped himself and got himself in a position of publicly in a public domain where these Judaizers and Pharisees could pounce on him. By the way, that's exactly what they did in chapter 21. And man, they grabbed a hold of him. They were just stark raven mad that Paul had come back to Jerusalem. In fact, some of the people that found him out and knew him, they had come from other cities back to Jerusalem just to put the finger on him and get him and to kill him or get him in prison. And so they grab him, they just about tear him to pieces, and the captain of the guard there of the Romans who had a, an outpost there, the chief captain grabbed him, took him back into what they called the castle, which was probably the Roman government headquarters there, probably the barracks for those people there, uh, for those Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. There were several thousand of them there, uh, and they were the, 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 uh, the barracks or the, uh, the platoon or whatever you want to call it would grow bigger whenever they had their feast days. The Romans wanted to make sure that nothing got out of line. And so they had their own government barracks there. So they pulled them back into what they called the castle just to protect him. And uh, they wanted to, if you look at verse 36, chapter 21, for the multitude of the people followed after him crying, away with him. And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee, who said, canst thou speak Greek? And so <laughs> this is a Roman soldier kind of taken back. I thought you was a Jew and you speak Greek. He spoke both. And we're going to see in just a moment why he did that, born in Tarsus of Sicily. And so he, uh, he had, a, uh, he had uh, both, both, though he was a Jew, he had some Gentile heritage, which allowed him to appeal to Caesar. Now, I'm kind of getting off subject, but anyhow. So the, he gets back here now for the first time. He uh, ends up in chapter 22 on the steps of the temple. And they take him to the top of the steps because they want to grab him. So the Roman military police, they, they, they take him up higher and as they led Paul up the steps of the castle to, try, uh, to be tried, he gets permission from the guard to speak to his accusers who had rallied at the bottom of the stairs, again, just gaping, wanting to kill him and uh, screaming for his execution. He beckons with his hand and the audience became quiet. Verse number one, men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense. Notice the phrase there, who he's speaking to. When he says men, he's speaking to the Roman crowd. When he says brethren, he's speaking to the Christian crowd who were really pretty much helpless to help the apostle and probably wouldn't have spoke out anyway because they didn't want to be killed. And then when he says, and ye fathers, he was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and those in Jewish leadership. Hear ye my defense, which I make now uh, unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue, to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith. And so, he, I mean, even, even the, the Jews said, oh, wait, this guy speaks our language. See, they really knew very little about the apostle. He's saved on the road to Damascus. He comes early on. He comes into town, and Ananias uh, helps him out, introduces him to the, the disciples who were afraid of him at first, but gets him locked in. And in just a, a few verses, next thing we know, they're letting him down over the wall just to get him out of town because everybody wants to kill him. So they really didn't know the man. 
And whenever Paul would preach in Asia Minor, some of these other places where these, these other uh, Jews would follow him, he would usually speak in a Gentile tongue. And so uh, he was a very intelligent person. So here he is, he beckons with his hand, and he gives his testimony. Now as he works his way down through here, he gives his heritage, his lineage in verse number 3, Tarsus, a city of uh, uh, Cilicia, and uh, brought up the feet of Gamaliel, which was a which was a tremendous Jewish scholar right there in that city. And uh, he works his way down, and he immediately gets to his testimony. Let me just stop and say this. I'm going to kind of chase a rabbit here. As you witness to other people, you don't have to have any great knowledge of the Scripture. Just give your testimony. Just tell people how you got saved. That's all he was doing. And that's what he did in many places that he preached. He thought, well, maybe it will work here. It didn't work there. I mean, it could have worked there, but these people, they, had, they were so worked up in a frenzy. And so he makes his uh, testimony. In his testimony, he makes a statement that really gets them fired up. He says in verse 14, he, as he makes it, he's repeating what Ananias had said, which is really what Jesus had said, that is this, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will. Now, wait a minute. They're saying, wait, that, that's our fathers, the God of our fathers. You don't even know him. We're going to kill you. You're not one of us. And to say, to make the statement, the God of our fathers, what in essence he was doing is each time it's used in Scripture four times, it was for the purpose that caused the hearers to reflect on the religious heritage uh, of their faith by remembering that they serve the same God of their fathers, their grandfathers, and their great-grandfathers, etc. So it'd be like this. Uh, let's say that Joseph uh, in the Old Testament... If Jacob's son Joseph were to say the God of our fathers, then he'd say, he'd be, we'd be saying the lineage, Joseph was the grandson, Jacob was the father, Isaac was the grandfather, and Abraham would have been the great-great-grandfather. In, uh, in my life, the God of my fathers uh, would be, uh, you, if Braxton would say, I believe in the God of my fathers, then Braxton would be believing the God of his father, uh, Joel, and the God of his Paul, uh, me, and the God of his grandfather, my dad sitting back there, and the God of his great-grandfather, which would be my grandpa Norse, and the list goes on and on. And so the God of now they said, they thought in their minds, you're not going to say that to us. You're not one of us. He didn't, they, they didn't at that point believe he belonged with the Christians, and he certainly didn't belong with the Jews, who by the way, he used to kill for the Pharisees. He would lock people up, haul them away to prison. And uh, he used to do their dastardly work, and he turned on that crowd. And when he turned on that crowd, they literally hated him. He was insinuating that the same God uh, had, uh, had uh, chosen him just like they had chosen them. And how could this man be any more special than they were? He wasn't any more special than they were. He simply believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, something they did not believe. And the God of their fathers had chosen them as well if they'd only believe on Christ. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this tonight. I just want to say this evening this simple statement. The God of our fathers had chosen you as well. I want you to think about that. 
I realize that you may not be called to be another Apostle Paul. I understand that. The great traveling missionary who had great evangelistic crusades in Asia Minor, or be a great church planter, or training preachers, or pastors, or anything. I understand that God may not call on you to understand the great dark mysteries of the church age and write large portions of the Bible. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're called to be like the Apostle Paul. Most likely you'll not suffer the beatings and persecutions and hunger and imprisonments this man did, but I do believe that there are some things we can find in this passage of Scripture about the God of our fathers choosing us to do something for Him. And I want to start at the beginning, if I could. I've got just a few points. We'll not be here long. I want you to jot these down, if you would. Number one, I believe the God of our fathers hath chosen you to be saved. I think, uh, now, I want you to stick with me here because it's a big word. Somebody says, well, it was predestinated before the foundation of the world that the Apostle Paul got, gets saved on the road to Damascus. Yeah, probably true. Paul didn't know that. And the day you got saved, you were supposed to get saved too. I want you to stick with me on this. Verse 14 says that Paul believed in the just one. That's how you and I get saved. Said Verse 16 says a call on his name. God has chosen you and I to be saved. God has chosen all people to be saved. Let me give you some Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. According as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Ephesians 1 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches in, in, of his grace. 2 Peter 3 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Romans 1 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. John 3, 16, the verse that everybody loves, for whosoever, for whosoever shall be saved. Let me ask you a question. If God wants you to be saved, and you can be saved, then why aren't you? We're going to blame that on God? It's not his fault. Of course, some have never heard about Jesus Christ, and that's sad. Many that have heard still don't believe, and that's sad. Others have heard, they think their sins are too great, and that's sad. How many believe that the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away all of our sins? I'm so thankful for that. Some say, well, I can't live it, and that's true. Nobody can live it. But with the help of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, we can live it. And then there are those who just say, I really don't care, it doesn't matter to me. But may I kindly say to you tonight, it matters little what you and I think about God has chosen people. Because God has chosen all men to be saved. And there is not a human being on the face of this earth that has a good enough excuse not to be saved. Apart from the fact that you and I need to go in places that have never heard. I'm so thankful and grateful that God looked down one day on a little boy who lived in Evans, West Virginia. And boy, how he worked me and wooed me to himself. Did you catch that in that song? Jesus came down, condensation for my redemption. He wooed me to win me. 
And I'm so thankful for that. How many of you thank God for your salvation tonight? Have you made the God of your fathers your God, the just one? Now, let me ask you. I, I, I know my crowd. I know this is a Sunday night crowd. And I know that a large majority of you are born again. But I'm going to ask you tonight, if Jesus Christ would come back right now, are you ready to meet him? If you would breathe your last breath right now, are you sure you go to, are you sure you go to heaven? Not based on your works, but based on what you've done with Jesus Christ and the gospel. Number two, write this down. The God of our fathers has chosen you to be baptized. How about that? <laughs> I like that right there. Verse 16 just kind of goes hand in hand. The first step of obedience for everyone that trusts Christ as Savior is to be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, we have the great story of the revival there at Pentecost. And then that great revival, 3,000 people get saved. And the way I've got this calculated, every one of those folks that believe were baptized, and every one of those folks were baptized on that day. And you've heard me say this before, the most that I have ever baptized in one day was 62 people. That was in Thailand, and Brother Horn helped me with that. We kind of took turns. And uh, probably the most I've ever baptized here was maybe seven or eight at one time. And I would just tell you, unless you're just running them through and you're not saying anything, it takes a while to do that. So you do the math. How long would it take to baptize 3,000 people in one day? It would take a long time. History tells us that they gladly, the Bible tells us they gladly received his word. They were baptized. They did it gladly. And history tells us that... Uh, they baptized folks in the, the pools and the aqueducts. Historians say that the only major water supply during that time coming through Jerusalem around it was the Brook Kidron, what's called the Guyon Springs. And there was, you got the pool of Siloam, you had the pool of the Bethesda, you had that pool right outside uh, the temple there. But uh, those folks were baptized in those little pools and aqueducts that people used to store water. And the disciples, and maybe some others help with that, and they baptized those people in one day. What a, what a wonderful, spectacular thing that was. Did you know this? It is foreign in the scriptures, and it is foreign in church history for a saved person not to be baptized. And do you know why it's like that? Because the God of our fathers expect that. You get me? Now, you don't do it for that reason. You do it because you're saved. Well, stick with me now. And uh, I thought about the day that I got baptized. I was reading through this, and Paul was an adult when he was baptized. I was a, a child, and uh, I got saved earlier that year, 1965. And, and I remember we waited for things to warm up. We didn't have a baptistry uh, in the church that I was uh, saved in. And so we got, got warmed up in May, end of May, May 30th. And I remember... Going down to the creek, you've heard me talk about this some, and we had a place, and the deacons would go out, and they'd, they'd take their shovels and mattox, and they'd cut steps down into the creek, Tug Fork Creek. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was so excited about getting saved. My brother had been saved about a year earlier. He was baptized in Hirschman's Pond, and uh, in a place there where we, we would go swimming and so forth. We had these little places we would go. But I, I went to Tug, Tug Fork Creek. Now, Tug Fork Creek, Looked just like any serene place, a tree-lined creek, big old water maples, and a cattle field on the other side, and kind of a, kind of a steep uh, 
grade going down from the road where everybody parked and and uh, we got down there and then of course the creek was about 10 15 feet on down a little sandbar and they would cut steps in there and and um, then they would sing that song shall we gather at the river that's kind of a not a scriptural song if you you you, you sing it all <laughs> but we would sing it no one told us about that we didn't have a brother pearson back in those days and so we would just sing whatever came up and uh so we'll sing sometimes she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes but anyway and so i was going down in there i was watching some now my preacher always wore a white shirt and he had another fella come in that day to help him and this is how they did in the old days they get down in there and they always had a, a pole and they'd take that pole and they would uh, they would go like that and they'd do that to make sure there weren't no drop-off places because you didn't want to drown the preacher get him all wet and uh, he would do that and then uh, people would go down and I watched them one by one go in and I wasn't scared I wasn't afraid to be baptized I was anxious to be baptized because I was doing what Jesus said to do I hope you felt that way and I, I remember getting down in there and uh, I remember looking upstream were the cattle. And I thought, oh, this is probably not very sanitary, you know. But down I went, back up. And boy, what a wonderful, wonderful. And then, you know, you, all the mamas are up there, you know, and my mom. And, and they put the towels around the kids. Everybody's just so excited and shouting. What a wonderful. Anybody been in old-fashioned baptism? Yeah. You all remember those things? And uh, so I just want you to know that it's a special thing. And it should mean something special to you. How many thank God the day you got saved? Now, how many thank God remember the days you got baptized? You went down for the Lord, and you wanted to follow him and obey him and what he commanded. Uh, so I remember as a young boy that uh, I come up out of there, and I had done what the Lord had commanded me. I, uh, commanded. I remember my mom telling me, uh, Michael, that God was pleased about that. Now watch this. When we talk about the God of our fathers, let me tell you this. My dad was baptized. My grandpa was baptized. My great-grandpa was baptized. And it's just, it's just what we do. The God of our fathers. Somewhere along the line in our new modern society, we just kind of, well, let's just kind of do it the way we want to do it. How about doing it the way that our God of our fathers have done things? Number three, the God of our fathers has chosen us to obey his commandments. Look at verse 14. And shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, the voice of God, his words, written in his book as we preached this morning. The God of our fathers expect us to read the Bible, to obey the Bible. And uh, you just can't let your Bible gather dust uh, in America. We have Bibles laying around everywhere, and there are some nations that have no Bible. And I want you to think about this. And I, I preached on this morning. I'm not going to re-preach my message. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. This is just how we roll. The God of our fathers hath chosen you. I don't know what much about my great-grandfather. I know a little bit about my grandfather. I probably know more about my grandfather on my mom's side. And by the way, she was baptized and so forth. It's just, I didn't, we're not preaching on the God of my mothers. We're preaching on the God of our fathers. So I don't want to leave mom out. She's here tonight but uh i do remember i remember their lifestyle i remember the, their value system of my father and my grandfathers and so forth and so it is just a a thing that we are to do the will of god and uh, live for god 
as the God of our fathers. We have that as a history. This morning, I did not go back and preach on this, but this showed up even as Paul taught Timothy. He said, just like your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, or I get those backwards sometimes, I may have got it right. In other words, there was a, there was a heritage there. There was a lineage there. Now, I, I, it could be that you're here tonight and you did not come from a Christian family, and I get that. But those of us who have come from Christian families, we need to understand and thank God for the lineage we have and the heritage we have in Christ Jesus. What an honor it is to have passed down to us the Holy Scriptures uh, and something for us to obey. My, uh, my grandfather's taught my dad. My dad taught me. I taught my son. My son taught his son. And that's just the way it rolls. Number four, write this down. The God of our fathers hath chosen us to witness for him. Look at verse 15. It says, For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. I can tell you this. My parents and grandparents passed down their faith to me. My mother actually witnessed to me, and I got saved. And it's, it's God's desire that you did that with your family. If I could say it very strongly, God has chosen you to do that. You are the best person, mom, dad, you're the best person to tell your child about Christ. If somebody else wins them to Christ, praise God, jump up and down, shout glory, hallelujah. But you need to be there for them. My mother taught me the gospel. I got saved. I taught my, my wife and I actually both taught Joel the gospel, and he got saved. Joel taught our son, our grandson Braxton the gospel, and he got saved. And glory to God, just the other day, I don't think I've announced this, but Baylor trusted Christ as Savior too. And you ought to rejoice in that because she needed to be saved. Amen. Now, Blakely, she's in by osmosis, but anyway, she goes to heaven on cuteness. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't work like that. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is a great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Honestly, you and I are the ones that God wants to use to tell others about Christ. God has chosen us to do that. Dr. Curtis Hudson said this years ago. I never forgot it. He used to say this, if you would put all the unsaved people in the world into a single line, they would circle the globe 20 times and the line would grow 20 miles each day. I dare say that it's much greater than that today. Dr. John R. Rice would say this, that a soul winner is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Dr. George Truett said this, quote, bringing one soul to Christ is the highest achievement possible in human life. Sadly, 95% of Christians never lead anybody to Christ. They lead, live their entire life and never lead anybody to Christ. Can I get you to be challenged about that? What a message that you and I have been trusted, entrusted with, this message of the gospel. Now, what if, and I'm done, what if 
the Apostle Paul would have gone this far, struck blind the road to Damascus, hear the Lord Jesus Christ himself speak to him, make his decision for Christ, get baptized, hear his instruction for his life from God himself. What if the apostle would have been fickle like some Christians today and said, you know, that's all good, but I need to get back to work. I need to make a living. I can't do this the rest of my life. Or what if he got into it part way, and then pretty much the first or second service he had given out the gospel, they tried to kill him. And how many times already have we read about the apostle that they've tried to kill him and beat him, chained him and thrown him in jail? What if that would have been the average fickle Christian today and said, yeah, that's it. We would not have Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. We wouldn't have uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians and, and, and Philippians and, and Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and the list goes on and on. I think, I think nearly 15 some books that he wrote. We would not have some of the things that we've been able to read tonight in the history of this man's life. I'll draw your attention to one more verse right here. Here's what Ananias said to the apostle when he got to his house. Fresh off the road to Damascus, he gets his eyesight back. And I have this underlined in my Bible. He says, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That little phrase there, why, why, why tarriest thou? Why are you delaying? This conversion experience jarred the apostle. He was going up to Damascus with letters in his hands, breathing out threatenings. What's that mean? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm sick and tired of these Christians. I'm going to kill him. And boom, the light shone. The man's trying to get his feet underneath him. What am I going to do now? The Son of God talked to me. And he says, uh, I, just need to get, I just need to get my life settled. And Ananias, this devout man of God, said, what are you waiting on? You're what the world needs. And I want to challenge you tonight. If you're tearing, if you're waiting, what are you waiting on? Somebody out there needs you to give them the gospel. You've got a family you need to lead. You've got little boys and little girls that need to be taught the word of God in your home. You've got a church family that needs you to live that life in front of their families that lets people see that you're true blue. I think I'm close to being right. I think my dad was led to Christ by Bob Lett. Maybe I wrote this down in my notes years ago. And my mom, and as I recall, they were baptized together. Our family moved to Ripley, West Virginia, and we met a pastor named, there named William F. Lovejoy. I'm starting to come of age, and I'm starting to understand the Bible. In fact, I was, he was the one that, that baptized me. You've heard me talk some about Pastor Lovejoy, what a meek and humble man he was. And, uh, but I got to thinking, what if there wasn't a Bob Lett 
And what if there wasn't a William F. Lovejoy? What if my mom and dad moved from Charleston, West Virginia to Ripley, West Virginia, and there'd been no church there, nobody to guide them, nobody to lead them? Somewhere along the line, Bob Letts said, the God of my fathers hath chosen me to be saved, to be baptized, to obey the word of God, to witness to other people. That's what I'm going to do. As I recall, William Lovejoy was a chemist in one of the chemical plants there. And he did dual role. He was a bivocational pastor. What if he said, I, I, I make more money on this. I don't have time to drive all the way from Charleston to Ripley every day just to lead that church. But the God of my fathers has chosen me to be saved and to be baptized and to obey the word of God and to witness to other people. If you go back and look, you would understand that you're a recipient to a line of people that got you where you're at today. And whether you realize it or not, or whether you believe it or not, you are somewhere in the same line of people. I want to challenge you to fulfill your role in that line for the God of our fathers, that lineage is so important to the people around you. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. You've been selected by Almighty God. He says in one place here, in verse number 10, and there it should be told thee of all the things, which here it is, are appointed for thee to do. I've written in my Bible, Mike, always keep your life's appointment. You see, I have an appointment on me. I have a call on my life as a preacher, but I have things that I know that God wants me to do. And by the grace of God and the help of God, I'm determined to do those things. Father, tonight, may each person here see their responsibility in this great line of people, not just in their family, but in their church. And tonight, may we feel selected by you to tell others about Christ.